Turn with me to the book of Jonah. It's right between Obadiah and Micah. Then I help you a whole lot. As soon as we're finished with this service, uh, the folks from uh, the Plus One Program Inspiration Ministries are going to be at the table. Feel free to stop by there and uh, ask any questions you have. I'm going to be just down the hall here on the left. We've got a sign up on the door there. It says after party. We've got some coffee and refreshments in there. And uh, uh, anybody that wants to participate, just down the hall on the left. The, the purpose of that is I'm going to be hanging out there and I want to connect with with uh, uh, newer people in the church that I haven't had a chance to connect with in here. So uh, that's where I'm going to be. Don't leave me down there all by my lonesome. If you got a question for me or you want to talk to me, that's where I'm going to be. Okay? Jonah, we're starting a series this morning that we're going to call Big God, where we're looking at some stories in the Bible that describe God as a big God able to take care of big problems. And if you've got a big problem in your life today, listen up, because I believe most probably God is going to say something to you about how to deal with your big problem. But first you have to understand God is a big God. If you see God as a dinky God, you won't expect God to do anything great in your life, and your problem will overwhelm you because you don't see God bigger than the problem. So we need to see that the Bible portrays in numerous ways that God is a big God. But he's waiting on us to take some steps. What I want us to, to read here in Jonah, is, uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Notice he's still his God. He's been running away, but he's still his God. And so when he got in trouble, he knew who to cry out to. If he hadn't been in the belly of that fish, he would not have cried out to the Lord. God wants us in communication. He wants us talking to him. He wants us at a place where we'll listen to him. And some of us are so busy with our routine and our busyness and making money and accomplishing things that we don't have time to talk to God. God knows how to put us in such a situation that we will want to talk to him. Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. So from the book of Jonah, I want to share seven ways or seven things to do. Seven things you need to know about getting out of the belly of that whale of a problem that you find yourself in. You've been swallowed alive. How did you even get in this mess? But here you are. How do you get out of it? Here's number one. Quit running from God. God wants to have this intimate, one-on-one, moment-by-moment relationship with us. Not just when we come to church on Sunday morning, but He wants to have that kind of relationship when we go to work on Monday morning. 
He wants to have that kind of relationship no matter what we do with our new ideas, with our hobbies, with our interests. He wants to be that close to us. Quit running from God. Notice in Jonah in chapter 1 verse 2, it says, God says to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So God said, I want you to go to this great city. You, Jonah, one guy, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against it because there are wicked, it's a wicked culture. It's a wicked people. They want to do selfish, self-absorbing things. And it displeases me. So I want you to go and preach against it. And Jonah says, no. There's no way I want to do that. So he got on a ship and headed the exact opposite direction. The exact opposite direction. And you remember the story. This big horrible storm comes up. Engulfs them. All the Sailors aboard realize they're in big trouble. They're all going to go to the bottom. We have to find out who's the jinx here. Who has, who's, has the curse in their life that would bring about this terrible storm? Because we're all going to pay the price. And Jonah finally confesses. He says, I am running, King James says, from the presence of the Lord. Don't run from the presence of the Lord. Because running from the presence of the Lord doesn't get you any further away from the Lord. It just gets you deeper trouble. God gave him an assignment that he didn't want to do. I'll give you a guarantee. If you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, make him Lord of your life. He will ask you to do something you don't want to do. Hello? He will ask you to do something you don't want to do. Because we are selfish in our very nature. And God's trying to change us from our selfish nature to being a servant nature. God's trying to work in us and make us something new. He wants us to be his servant. He'll ask us to do something we don't want to do. And then the test is on. Am I going to do what God wants me to do? Or am I going to do what I want to do? <clears throat> I had to go to the dentist on Friday had a filling that had to be replaced and they had to numb it so my dentist put that needle up into my gum you know how they do it like real slow <laughs> now she's slipping that needle up into my gum and I'm gripping the sides of the chair a little tighter she says to me now did you understand when your church first began that daycare, the positive effect it was going to have in the community? And I'm thinking, I am not answering you, lady. I'm, I'm not blinking. I'm not moving while you got that needle up in my gum. And then it dawned on me, she did the same thing the last time I was in there. She asked me some thought-provoking question that was half compliment, half question, while she's sticking me with that needle. And I thought, this must be a trick of the trade. She's, uh, she's, she's, she's getting my mind off on something else and not on to what, 
torment she's putting me through at this moment. Sometimes that happens with us. God's trying to clean us up. God's trying to do something, and it's agonizing. It's painful as God gets involved in our life trying to bring something good, a change in our life. And the world keeps throwing up all these other concerns. And we're focusing on minors instead of the major thing. Stop and think about it. The major thing is what we're going to say when we get to heaven and have to stand before God. And give account of what we did with our life. Now that's a major thing. And we're all wrapped up in how do I, how do I get money for retirement? How am I going to get my house paid for and get out of debt? We're focused on these minor things when eternity is much bigger than the things we put our minds on. We need to focus on eternity and what God wants to do in our life. So quit running from God. Here's the second thing, the second clue on how to get out of the belly of the great fish when it swallows us. You need to call out to the Lord. Quit waiting for God to come into your life and you call out for Him. Chapter 2, verse 2. Jonah said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. From deep in the realm of the dead. We have a simple word for that. It's called hopelessness. When a person becomes Hopeless, they're deep in the realm of the dead. They can't see light at the end of the tunnel. They can't see this situation ever turning around. That's why people end their life and commit suicide, because they've lost all hope. We have to understand God is a big God, or we're all going to find ourselves in that hopeless state. He's a big God. He's bigger than our problems and he can give us an answer, and he can deliver us out of the belly of this whale of a problem we find ourselves in. Okay, let's go to number three. Remember the Lord. Remember him. Uh, verse 7 of chapter 2 is where I'm getting this. <clears throat> Jonah says in his prayer, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose up to you, to your holy temple. When I realized the, the, the desperate situation I was in, when I realized this overwhelming uh, uh, problem that I had that had swallowed me alive, when I realized it, I remembered the Lord. you got to remember the Lord. And you're not going to remember the Lord if you, if you don't have a good relationship with Him in the first place. Remember the Lord when you're in trouble. Has the Lord done anything for you? For 40 years, Israel wandered through the wilderness. That was a massive, great big problem they had. They, they couldn't get out of their wilderness. They were stuck. They were entangled in their wilderness like Jonah was entangled with the seaweed in the belly of the great fish. Remember 
what he's done for you. Israel still today, and us Christians, we're reflecting back to what God did for Israel over that 40 years, protecting them, making sure nobody's shoes wore out after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. How long do your shoes last? God took care of them. Remember the Lord. Peter says in the New Testament, I don't remember if it's first or second Peter, I think second. He says, I am reminded that I have to keep reminding you about how good God is and what God wants to do and the promises he's given to us. He recognized his calling was to remind them because we forget. Can you remember what your life was prior to Christ coming in? Can you remember that? Don't forget it. I make myself remember. Sometimes I just sit there and I reflect back of what hopelessness is. I reflect back of being caught in my own sin and tangled in my own web and not being able to get out of it. I remember that. I'm not there anymore. And by faith, I never will be there again. But I don't want to forget where I came from because that's what moves me to worship today. If you don't know what the darkness is like, you'll never appreciate the light. Somebody say amen. Amen. Remember the Lord. Uh, Here's the fourth thing to know if you want to get out of the whale's belly. And I'm I'm getting this from the first half of verse 9, still in his prayer. Jonah says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Notice how... With, notice the confidence he has. With shouts of great praise, I am going to sacrifice to you. He says this in the belly of the fish. He's got no hope of getting out of there. It's the end of his being, but he makes a commitment to God. I will sacrifice. And so the fourth thing you have to do is you've got to sacrifice something to the Lord. Sacrifice is something that has to cost you. King David in the Old Testament wanted to buy a piece of land and he wanted to, uh, where where the temple was going to be constructed and the altar where they're going to present sacrifices, he wanted to buy that piece of land. And so they negotiated a price with with the farmer and when the farmer found out what he wanted to do with the land, he said, oh, he said, "I, I can't sell this to you. I'm going to give it to you. I want to honor God too. I want to bring and present sacrifices before God too. I want to put God first in my life. I'll just give you the land. And David says, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I will not sacrifice anything to the Lord that hasn't cost me something. That's the definition of a sacrifice. It's got to cost you something. Got to cost you something. So if you were like Jonah stuck in the belly of that great fish and a a sacrifice you made was going to deliver you from that bondage, how much would you be willing to sacrifice to have your life back again? Just asking the question because we have to sacrifice something. God is not look. God doesn't get honored when you are bankrupt. 
God wants to bless you. He wants to bless us. He wants to prosper our way. But if we don't make some sacrifices, God's not going to make any investments. And he'll put us in a tight spot, like in the belly of that fish, to get us to the place where we have to do what he wants us to do. Here's number five. Make good on your vows. You know what a vow is? It's when you make a promise. We, about the only time we use the word vow these days is when we're talking about a marriage covenant, when a husband and wife stands before their family and friends and their pastor in God's house and they make vows to each other. They make promises. Till death do us part, not till it gets tough. For better or worse. They make this commitment to each other. That's a vow. But the relationship, the covenant relationship between a husband and wife is symbolic of the relationship between us and Jesus Christ. We enter into a covenant and God makes promises to us, his people, and he expects us to make some commitments to him. What are the commitments that we've made to the Lord? So keep your promises to God even after the crisis is over. A lot of us are quick to make, make vows, you know, when we're about to die. We'll make great promises to God then, but what do we do when the crisis is over and everything's fine? Do we keep our word? Make good on your vows. Number, number six, let me, let me read you the scripture and then give you the point. Chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord, after Jonah had prayed, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry ground. Here's the point. Deliverance can be violent. Can you remember the last time you got sick and vomited? I know you're trying to forget, but just for a second here, for the sake of the point, vomiting is violent. I rarely get sick. I get the flu shot every year, never, never get the flu. But last, about nine months ago, I got sick. Anita got it first, then I got it. This is the first time in probably three or four years that I got sick enough I vomited. My stomach muscles ached for two days after that. Because vomiting is when your stomach muscles convulse and force that up, that whatever it is in your stomach your body doesn't want, forces it up. So somehow this great fish that God had prepared for Jonah, somehow he got sick. And he threw Jonah up on the shore. And he was delivered. But it was a violent deliverance. I'm reminded of the time in the New Testament in the Gospels, uh, a father brought his son to Jesus. I think it was a father brought his son to Jesus. Um, and he was demon-possessed. And he would do harm to himself. And Jesus cast that demon out. And the demon like went crazy screamed and hollered and, and convulsed and he fell in the seizure. He fell on the ground like he was dead. Satan does not want to let go of your life. 
He does not want to give up on the addictions that hold you back, hold you down, hold you where you are. He'll do anything he can to hold you back again. And the only way to get set free is for something violent to happen. Like Jesus being nailed to a cross and dying a horrible death. He's our substitute. He's the one who absorbed the violence so that we could be set free. Can you appreciate that? That ought to draw worship out of us when we're singing. Because Satan doesn't give up anything easy. Uh, here's number seven, the last one I want us to see. Chapter four. So Jonah got delivered. He made a promise. God, I will, I will do what you asked me to do. I promised I would. I'll do it. So he went to Nineveh. And he preached. Forty days, he says. Forty days and you're all going to die. That's his sermon. What kind of an altar call would I have if I preached a sermon like that? Forty days and God's judgment's going to fall on your life. But there was this move of God well beyond the ability of Jonah to convict hearts. And the whole city repented. There was a great, tremendous revival swept through Nineveh. Everybody, including the king, from the king down, everybody changed their ways. And God held off on his judgment. You see, God was going to send judgment on Nineveh because of their sin. But he doesn't want to do that. So he needs somebody to go on his behalf and give them the message, give them a warning before he does it, because he always gives us a warning. And Jonah, in his self-righteousness, did not want to go to Nineveh. Listen to what it says. Chapter 4, uh, verse 1. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and, abiding, uh, and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew that about you, God. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were merciful. I knew you want to forgive people. I knew you wanted to set people free. But those Ninevites are bad people. They don't deserve your mercy. And I didn't want to go over there because I knew, I just knew it that if I went over there and preached to them, that you would turn them around and you would just let them get away with it. I knew you would. That's why I didn't want to go. You see, Jonah did what God wanted him to do. But his heart stunk. Did you get that? He didn't have God's heart. He didn't have God's compassion. He didn't have God's mercy. He wasn't interested in turning people around toward God. He was interested in his version of justice. He didn't, get, he didn't understand where God was coming from. So here's my point number seven. Understand that temptation to run 
repeats itself. Until you get a heart change, you're going to keep running from God. Just keep running. Just keep running. It's going to repeat itself. Because Satan attacks us at our weakest point. And how does he know what our weakest point is? Yeah. Our past failings. So he keeps attacking us in our weakness. Where we stumbled before, he keeps throwing up more attacks, more attacks, more attacks. And I just have to keep coming back to understanding that I cannot do this myself. I need a higher power working on my behalf. And the name of my higher power is Jesus Christ. We just have to keep coming back to that. Let's stand together. I know there's people that say, oh, that story's just a fable. There's no way uh, that there's any fish over there in the Mediterranean big enough to swallow a man. That's true. And there's no way that someone swallowed by a great fish could survive in his digestive system for three days. But we're not talking about commonality here. We're talking about an unusual situation because that fish was prepared by God. Did a little research on this and I found out that <clears throat> there's, a, there's an archaeology dig at a fish factory where they, they dumped all the unwanted parts of fish, the bones and, and all of that, all, all kinds of fish into this one heap and now the archaeologists are digging that out and they're doing DNA tests on the or whatever they do on those skeletal remains and they found remains in there this is just on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea they found remains in there of a gray whale and a right whale there aren't any gray whales or white whale or right whales in the Mediterranean but this tells us there used to be at one time there was, big enough to swallow a man. So God diverted one of those fish from the Atlantic into the Mediterranean somehow for this occasion. It's a coincidence. God lines things up in his perfect timing the way he does it. I also found out that in 1892 there was a whaling mission off uh, uh, off England where they were harvesting whales and they killed this whale that had wrecked the ship and a couple men were drowned and when they were harvesting this whale cutting it up, harvesting its parts they got down into inward parts and there was a man still alive it hadn't been three days but it was about 12 hours later they found him in there still alive bleached whiter than a sheet but living. I think when you go through something like that, you're marked for life. Marked for life. Every time you look in the mirror, you're reminded, God saved my soul. Anytime anybody else looks at you, they take, two, they take a second look because you're just a little bit different. What is that about you? You're just kind of white. I think to have my life, I'd be willing to put up with some white, having people take two looks at me. So what is your whale of a problem 
you're dealing with this morning. You got one. What is that big thing? My whole point is to remind us that God is bigger than your problem. The problem may look hopeless. The problem may look bigger than you can ever, ever work through. But God, if he's able to provide a big fish, he's also able to give that big fish a bellyache. And get you delivered out of there. We have to keep believing in this. It's the only way to keep living life in this dysfunctional world. We have to keep believing that there's a God who's bigger than our problems. And who loves us and wants to intervene. So you think about your problem and I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I'm praying for every person in this room. And I'm praying for myself in this prayer. I pray that you'll help us to see the problem. Not ignore it. Not think, well, this is... This is uh, just me, but it's okay with God because we know things, certain things aren't okay with you. It hinders us. It binds us. It holds us back. Father, I pray whatever that whale is, you're going to give him a big bellyache right now. You're going to make the problem sick of us, Father, that you're going you're, you're to somehow speak and command this whale of a problem we have to release us, to let us go. And Father, if it's Something that's violent in the process, it's worth it to us to get delivered from this problem. So God, do your work, do your deliverance, do what you do so well. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Take, take, these, take these thoughts home with you and apply them to your, to your problems and God will deliver you. We've got prayer partners to the front that will pray with you. I'm going to be down in the Meet the Pastor room. God bless. Have a great day.